We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal prepare to face the intense pressure of Leeds with the quick feet and rapid ball progression of Granite Shaka and Mohamed El Nenny. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. <clears throat> you know what? It may not be Mohamed El Nenny. It may be the quick feet and rapid ball progression of Danny Ceballos. Because if you give Danny Ceballos 12 touches, he will progress the ball. Uh, and, and you just watch him. So yeah, we're going to talk about the the party injury. We're going to talk a little bit about what's happening with our Europa League tie getting moved all over the world. We'll talk injuries generally, the Tierney injury, um, and whether it's a partial Cazorla or a full Rosicky or a three-quarters Vermeilen or maybe none of those, hopefully. Um, I do want to say thank you so much for being here and, and that we really appreciate you joining in. I had the chance to go on a couple different podcasts that I want to shout out. Um, I got to go on She Knows Arsenal with with Jessica. She was great. And then the Touchy Gooners podcast, which was great. So thank you guys for having me on and letting me ruin uh, not just our podcast, but another podcast. And I do want to really reiterate that we have um, been really excited to promote, share, discuss, talk about uh, ArsenalEditor.com because Nils is an absolute top bloke, you might say. I don't know. Is that a thing you say? It's a thing I'm going to say. And uh, he puts out some fantastic artwork and, you know, it's funny because I was like, oh, here I am helping, you know, a small account get noticed, get recognized, you know, arsenaleditor.com, go there and shop there. And then I checked out his Instagram and he's got like a quarter of a million followers or something. So I actually now think that Nils needs to promote our tiny little podcast and help us grow and help us get attention. So Nils, could you get on that, please? But yeah, go to arsenaleditor.com, use promo code ArsenalVision. You get 20% off and free global shipping. And uh, you can put beautiful art on your wall of players or times or moments when Arsenal were, how shall I say this delicately, good at the football. 
might be a thing you'd want to do. They also got mugs and stuff like that. You, use promo code one nils to the arsenal. One nils to the arsenal. Why didn't he think of that? But don't use that. That's not actually a promo know. code. Use promo code Arsenal Vision. If you put in one nils to the Arsenal, you will get no discount. You will get an error message and inevitably be delayed in purchasing your excellent artistic uh, product. So go to ArsenalEditor.com and use the promo code I said, Arsenal Vision, and not the very clever one, but improper one that Paul said. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pencil. Pause. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter. Strawberry. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Are you enjoying the hashtag banter, Tim? <laughs> have you been Have you been enjoying uh, it so far? Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Good. It's, it's like having a brandy with Oscar Wilde. Mm. I I don't know. I don't, I don't even <laughs> know what that, that means. <laughs> I don't think it's, the good thing about um, being. Uh, how should I say this? A Philistine is that I have no idea what that means. So I'm 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 happy to know that. I did. Well, get, Oscar Wilde was renowned for his repartee and oh, okay. uh, and and his. Mm. His ability as a raconteur to make witty asides and observations. I don't know uh, that he drank brandy. Ra- raconteur, is that the game where you, you, you're in a small court and you have a small tennis racket and you hit it against the wall really hard and you see it like <laughs> like stock traders like to play? Or is that that's racquetball, not raconteur. Same difference. Uh, Clive is missing all of this, this awesome communication, this witty banter, because, and I quote, I've had a lot of microphone time, mate. Maybe I should step aside and let the other guys talk. And uh, really what I want Clive to know is all you're doing is stepping aside and, and letting our hashtag numbers plummet. So I don't know why you would do that, but he has done that. And he will be back tomorrow for our Patreon Premier League Roundup. Look, if you do not want to sign up for Patreon, please do not do it. Of course, just consume the free podcasts that cost you absolutely nothing, and we will still be delighted for you to be here. But if you join the Patreon, and you watch the rewatches. The Villa rewatch was genuinely insightful, thanks to Clive, but also because of seeing it again and, and analyzing it again. The scouting videos, the instant reactions, the Premier League roundups, the in the spotlights. We try to do a ton over there. And then we have the Discord where we all chat with each other. And I have a new, um, it's going to be a, a participation uh, audio platform. I, I don't want to give too much away, but it's going to give a chance for all the patrons to be able to get in, ask questions, have open discussions directly with us. So if that sounds terrible, then do not do it. it would be a horror. Why would you do something that sounds terrible? But if it sounds good, I cannot tell you how much it means to us. I'm not going to share Tim's personal story, but suffice it to say that over the last year, the Patreon has literally changed lives for us at a time when it was very important. And so uh, I cannot thank you enough. And if you'd like to support our podcast that way, it would mean the world. And if you do not, again, just being here means the world. I've gone four minutes and 34 seconds of talking absolutely no football. Uh, and don't think that I can't go another 45 minutes doing it. But I'm not going to. So, <clears throat> Tim, let's get on to some of the news. And I think the, the most pressing thing we need to do right now is pull our hair out, scream, yell, cry, tear at our flesh um, over injuries, which I am more than prepared to do. You may not be prepared to do. Let's take the Thomas Party one first. Um the news breaks that he will not play against Leeds. And then I think it's Chris Wheatley comes out and, and says he may be out for a couple weeks. He may miss the Benfica game. It didn't look definitive what he said, but it certainly looked from what he, from what he put out there that, that party will miss the first leg of Benfica and potentially the second leg. So let's take this first with respect to Leeds. I looked mm. at this as a game that actually sneakily, we could have a really good chance to go out there and do something kind of fun against them because of how bad their defense is. But the key is getting around that press, and Thomas Party for me, is a key part of that. So uh, having said all of that, how do you feel this impacts the preparation for Leeds, and how worried are you generally about the developing injury scenario surrounding Thomas Party? 
Yeah, I'm I'm worried from in two respects, I guess. One, yeah, about him. I mean, his injury history before he came to Arsenal was pretty impeccable. I mean, we have to we have to I think take into account that this is a very um, unique situation in terms of uh, the COVID situation, the calendar in itself that he came over on deadline day. Um, and so his, his future was up in the air pretty much all summer. Um, um, you know, that surely has an impact on how you train, if not mentally as much as anything. You know, which team am I going to be playing for, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, you know, I, I think that's a big part of it, coming to a new club, not having a pre-season, then going straight into, you know, a really, really hectic schedule. And I, I have to say on Arsenal's part, it's, it's difficult. Like you can absolutely blame Arsenal for the recurrence of the injury he got against Spurs, for example, because it was clear that he came back too early and he was rushed back. On this occasion, I really don't think that that was the case. I think they were extra careful with him. Um, I think they held him back for a few games that he was probably fit for just to make absolutely sure they substituted him in games and things like that. And so, it just it's one of those it looks like one of those niggling ones that not really gone away mm. and that's that's always a bit of a concern you you could say that maybe that's a symptom of the situation and maybe you know once the season's over gets a bit of a break has a proper pre-season that, that maybe that'll go away so I, I'm not sure how worried I am about his fitness in the long term but um, for the rest of this season I, I think it's it's a real concern and and you know that brings me to the second reason I'm really concerned I, th- I think more than anywhere else in our squad that is the biggest drop-off in quality, so not only has Party quickly become a really important player, he it's not just he's not just an important player because he's a really good player. It's just because there's there's nothing else there. Um, quite frankly, I mean El Nenny, just completely different type of player and different quality of player. Danny Sabios, um, you know, uh, not not as good as Thomas Party, not as bigger drop off in quality to own any but just a completely different type and and honestly i think the shaka sabios mm. partnership is is it's it's bad i think to be honest mm, yeah albeit in in terms of i just think they both really want to sit in front of their defense and that's a really bad um a really bad kind of um combination that said we haven't really seen those two together with smith throw ahead of them um, so that that kind of piece linking the attack. So, you know, maybe Xhaka and Ceballos. In fact, I think it'd be very fair to say that Xhaka and Ceballos would look very different with that number 10 ahead of them. And, and indeed, I think they did when Ozil was there as well. Um, I, I'd never had this impression of them being a really bad partnership until we kind of went to the back three and had a midfield two and no number 10. So, you know, maybe that, that that probably does make things a little bit different. But nevertheless, I, I think Party and Tierney, they're probably the biggest misses that we have because there there just isn't a like for like. Even someone like Aubameyang, you look around and say, well, OK, there's Martinelli, there's Pepe, there's other players that can that can do a workable impression and score goals. There's there's no one that does what Party or Tierney does, what Party or Tierney do. And that's why it's a massive concern. Yeah, and it's a couple of things, right? Like, Ceballos has been out a while. He hasn't played for us in a little bit. And the last thing you want to yep. do, especially with a player that likes an extra touch, likes to come to the ball, move out of position, is put him up against an intense pressing side and and have him need to be absolutely at his sharpest, quickest decision-making right off the bat into a game that he you know he hasn't played in a while. And Elneny, 
he's going to go backwards. And and this is the thing. Against a press like Leeds, the ball has to go forwards one way or another. As you go back, you are playing into their trap. You are absolutely letting them close that vice around you. And it is a really interesting thing, Paul, because Leeds are one of those teams that says, we're going to play an attacking, pressing style and leave ourselves totally vulnerable at the back and ship a lot of goals, and we know it. And it works. It works. They score a lot. They have scored 38 goals on 36 expected goals. They are basically tied for fourth in the most expected goals in the league, behind only United, City, and Liverpool. They are second to last, and it's not close, in expected goals against. Only West Brom is worse. They are five expected goals worse than the next worst team, Crystal Palace. Now, we hammered West Brom. Now, just to put it in perspective, West Brom is... 31 goals fewer in expected goals scored. And that is why they're where they are and leads are where they are. I I just feel that this is a game where maybe the goal shouldn't be to keep it safe and keep it solid and try to break them down. Maybe the goal should be to go have this track meet with them. And so maybe you don't put in a, a... a slow-moving, out-of-match-fitness Ceballos or a conservative passing Elneny, maybe you let Shaka play with Odegaard and Smith-Rowe and more like a 4-3-3 and let one of them drop back in with him, you know, but you give it to guys who can turn, look up, and distribute quickly, high technique, skillful, quick-passing players who are progressive, and you say, okay, we're going to be a little bit vulnerable. But leads aren't going to play their way through you. That's not how they're going to get goals anyway. You're not looking to shield the back four. You're looking to not turn the ball over in midfield. And, you know, I don't know that this is a game that we should be playing to win 1-0, although I would take it, bite your hand off for it, and run away. But maybe it's a game we should be playing to win 4-3 on the basis of Leeds giving you those chances if you can just get in behind the press. So how do you feel about trying something a little unorthodox vis-a-vis party's absence? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sounds like crazy talk to me, but but Well, yeah, our is not going to do it, but <laughs> it doesn't mean we can't discuss it. <laughs> it doesn't mean it wouldn't be fun uh, apart from watching them. Uh, a bloodbath, a massacre ahead of us. I mean, could work. Um, So interestingly, we mentioned West Brom and uh, Tim mentioned uh, we haven't seen Jack and Sabias for a while. Last time we did see them, I believe, was that West Brom game. And it kind of suited both of them. Um, Now, this will be a different battle. Um, But uh, if it is Jack and Sabias, Smithrow ahead of them, um, you know, that's, that's... there, there's at least some previous here. I think the other previous is that in recent times, Arteta's felt a little more confident in coming at teams like Spider Monkeys, you know, coming at Southampton the way they came at us kind of thing. Mm. So, uh, you know, does he go for a conservative approach or does he go for a, a give him, you know, let him taste some of our bayonet here and, uh, to, are we much a much more attacking and progressive side looking to pressure them? Now, Leeds is a tough one to take on because nobody does the pressing more consistently, more fully across 90 minutes. Um, not even Southampton's pressing at those levels for that for that uh, period of time. So I don't know. I, I can imagine Chaka, Sabayas, Smith Rowe. 
Um, I don't know if you remember the last Leeds game in. Oh, by the way, uh, Oscar Wilde. Sadly, I do, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oscar Wilde was born at three miles from where I was born. So nice one, Tim. Another little connection there. Uh, Different different, um, century and everything, but there you go. Uh, Where was I? Leeds. So Leeds was the. Was the all Pepe show? Um, it was the headbutt. We should, yeah, that was the headbutt. And before that, it was the he kind of had two of maybe three of the best opportunities. He had that cross that glided across the the bar that we'll decide to call a shot where we hit the the crossbar, and he had another shot from from the right, uh, kind of one of his really good misses. Um, but we produced very little, especially after. Uh, Pepe did his head brush, but it was definitely the all Pepe show on a very interesting lineup. Um, Willock was in there as our number 10. <coughs> um, and uh, it was just kind of, uh, uh, Obama Yang was uh, center forward. Willian and Pepe were the two wingers. It was just, it just struck me that that was a weird team. Um, and uh, it didn't go very well. So now we've got this interesting matchup, but it's going to be t- totally different. We're a different team with a le- different level of confidence and a way of playing. Uh, I often wonder if you can put together a lead style team. We don't have the depth, but you could put together quite an interesting team of younger players uh, if you had all of our players fit with your Smith Rose, Sackas, Martinelli's, etc. You could really run at them the way they run at us. Um, so I don't, I've no idea what Arteta is going to do for this game. And I, I don't have a strong, I hope we don't sit back and be ultra conservative, but it doesn't seem like we've done that for a while. I can see Chaka, Sabias, Smith Rowe, uh, Pepe has done nothing to deserve to be dropped. And this is a game for redemption for him. Uh, lack of, but it's going to be very interesting. You know, we have, we'll have Saka, Pepe who goes up front or Pepe doesn't play. Um, Cedric, I assume, Bellerin. Mm. Um, and then our centre-backs, Gabriel and Holding. So uh, Leno should be back. And I guess Luis is available again. Is he available for the... Is the did yes. he miss his game yet? He did yep. miss Leno's his game. Available. So, yeah. Luis is available, yep. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the, it's interesting, Paul. You, you look at... Sorry, you want to finish that thought? Just so no, you, no, I was, yeah. I was there. You, ju- yeah. you just helped me... Sh- Uh, place the period yeah (laughs) um you look at them you look at Leeds in their last several big games you know games against better teams and against Leicester they Leicester had 1.9 expected goals Tottenham 2.6 expected goals United 3.7 expected goals Chelsea 3.7 expected goals Leicester the previous time 3.5 expected goals City only 1.5 expected goals amazingly Liverpool 3.3 expected goals and then you look at Arsenal Point nine. Now, that was in the low ebb of our season, and we were down to 10 men. They had 25 shots in that game and put up 2.5 expected goals. But my point is, if you average out the teams in and around the top six that they've played this season, they're probably giving up over two expected goals, close to three expected goals a game. So I, I do think that the teams that are able to be a little more technical in possession and get past their press and can live with it a little more and have the quality to exploit their openness, can put up goals against them. And I just hope that we'll do that. Tim, before we put a bow on sort of this little leads preview and, and maybe touch on the injury situation with Tierney a little bit as well, I mean, do you 
subscribe to that theory that <clears throat> we have mm -hmm. been looking pretty good in attack lately. <clears throat> Pardon me, guys. Um, that we are in a situation where, you know, the the selection is pick better, more attacking players or worse, more conservative, possession-oriented players mm -hmm. that under these circumstances, maybe just pick the better players. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And you, you look at the way when Leeds played Man United, did they lose like six two or something? Yeah, six two um, and three point seven expected goals allowed, three point seven expected goals against Chelsea, three point five expected yeah. goals against Leeds. I mean, it's they've been bad against good teams in terms of what yeah. they've given away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we've, you know, we've still not been great at doing that. So, like, of really pressing the advantage home. And this would, you know, look, this is going to be a really difficult game. So I don't want to call it target practice because I'm not even that confident we're going to win. But, you know, this, this really... So, you know, we've discussed this, right? The next evolution for this Arteta team, they're defending better. Now they're progressing the ball better. And the next bit is about, right, let's actually, like, put some people in the box and maybe start scoring some goals would be nice. Um, and, and this is, this is a really perfect opportunity to do that. I think to, to really look to press home the advantage and yeah, exactly. Like if you, if you're looking at this Leeds team, you're looking at playing them like, well, I mean, what you do ideally, if, if you're not confident in your team's ability to defend and attack, I mean, what would you do when you're playing Leeds? Do you go, let's sit back while they put up like 2.53 XG or let's attack them and get get that ourselves? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a relatively simple equation. It's we can get like three, four big chances if we, you know, if we attack them. And the thing is about Leeds as well, uh, that I'd say, having watched them this season, they're, they're, st they're still a good team and they can give you really, really big problems. They're, they're not an unknown quantity anymore. Their results, I think, are, you know, have been dipping a bit in the last few weeks. They're, they're, they're still a bit up and down, but they had, they had a good kind of, you know, good three, four games without a victory recently. And I do think teams are getting more information on them. They're, they're understanding things like, um, you know, Calvin Phillips, who plays at the base of the Leeds midfield, is, is really the hub of that team. If you stand on him, they don't have much of an answer to that because they don't have, um, they just don't have another player who distributes the ball like he does. So, and, and we actually have a number 10 now. Um, and a big part of the reason I think we played Willock at Ellen Road was not, I think it was partially driven by the fact that it was off the back of a couple of good Europa League performances. But I think it was also on the back, you know, it was also with the, with a view to kind of marking um, Calvin Phillips a little bit. Not sure. It, the only other game I think he started was like Wolves and we were doing something similar, trying to neutralize yeah. their midfield. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, and, and, and yeah, exactly. So but we actually have a number 10 now and, and one I think that can really do this is really good at kind of cutting off passing lanes and, and closing down. So, um, you know, that, that that's something like if we and also the, the other thing about well, Leeds have got two really good attackers, right, in Patrick Bamford, um, albeit. He's he's been spotty recently because he was you know he was way above his xG earlier in the season and that began to peter out but he's picked up again and then they've got uh, Hafinha, mm. uh, the Brazilian forward who who looks really exciting really good quite unpredictable but um, yeah someone who who I, I'd probably mark as the biggest threat um, of their attack but 
I think if you sit on Calvin Phillips, you can get a lot out of Leeds. You you can stop them, and I think you can you can kind of get them to turn over the ball. So I, I'm with you. I I would very much be framing my kind of team talk as Leeds are really bad at some things. They're really good at some things, and we have to be mindful of those. But let's concentrate on the things they're really bad at. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so simple, but pass and move, pass and move. Like, get the ball, give the ball, get the ball, give the ball. And I think with Odegaard and and Smith-Rowe, you, you have players who do that. I think Shaka has been doing it a bit more, although I wonder if some of that is he's under less pressure because party absorbs more of that. In Ceballos and Elneny, I'm a little less confident in their ability to do that. And Ceballos can, but in general, he'd prefer to have those extra touches. Uh, and yeah, and, and I have to tell you, I think it's also the fact that Ceballos gets drawn to the ball. And against a press, you have to keep those distances, right? Because yeah. you make it easier to, to close down and press a team if you, if you lose your spacing and and chase the ball. Um, it's also just the fact that he's been out a little bit. And this is a tough game environment to come right back into. You know, if we were going to be facing a packed defense that was going to sit deep and we had to pick the lock and he has more time on the ball, you know, he can, he can fine-tune his skills that way. This is a little trickier. I guess, Paul, then the the question is, you know, what Arteta will do also in light of the fact that it is Benfica on Thursday. And, you know, I, I know t- Tim certainly doesn't think that we should be chucking the league, but rotating with an eye towards a bigger game isn't chucking the league. This is a tricky one. Leads are ahead of us in the table. We are two losses on the trot in the Premier League, three in a row seems to undo all the good work you've been doing in terms of improving the way you've been playing, if not fully improving your position in the table. And yet, I, if we lost to Leeds and destroyed Benfica and we're on to the next round in, in Europe, ultimately, I think people would live with that. <clears throat> so how do you think he balances that? I mean, Smith Rowe has a lot of minutes on him right now uh, in consecutive games, not for the season, but but since he's come in. Saka has a lot of minutes on him, period. Is Is there a potential for him to just give a run out to guys. I mean, it's not going to make anyone happy if Willian starts. I mean, God forbid he start Reese Nelson, you know, um, you know, Martinelli is a guy who could come in and start. Uh, is there a possibility that, that maybe he will surprise us and, and prioritize Thursday? Or do you think under the circumstances of the last two losses, any in- inkling he might've had to do that is probably gone now. Um, no, I think like there's rotation and there's rotation. Um, him making a couple of changes of players who are basically just as good as each other is the kind of rotation we should be considering right now. And you 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 mention a few good ones there, right? Uh, it, it, and it depends on what their data says. If they're in the the uh, the mythical red zone, like only they'll know. Maybe Saka's right where you want him, getting the getting the minutes that that keep him fittest and strongest you know there is a there's a lot of benefit to playing a lot of games back to back up to a point so are you at the red zone or are they right where you want them to be only they can tell and 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 we can't make that decision without the data but smith row could be a can you know saka seems to be able to play pretty much week in week out game in game out smith row this is all new so they got to be very careful with him and they have odegaard so um and with Saka, they have Pepe. And if they want to play Lacazette and Aubameyang, and there's one spot left, it's not a massive 
sacrifice to your chances of winning. Of course, we prefer Saka starting in the moment because he's he's part of the magic uh, formula, the 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 kind of the first ingredient in the mix for our creativity. But maybe this is the game for Pepe to show he can do it without Saka on the other wing. Um, I don't know if you want to change Saka and Smith Rowe and and put in Odegaard and Pepe and think you're going to get something just as good. Uh, that might be a change too far, but whoever's closest to that red zone, if you take Smith Rowe. So I don't think wholesale changes. I don't think he'll sacrifice the Leeds, Leeds performance, but he, uh, he's got Martinelli, he's got Pepe, he's got Odegaard uh, all knocking to start and you know right there and no great casual no great fall off between the people who were there apart from the chemistry and the mix aspects but not in terms of quality that would be my take and those are really his only uh concerns he has to worry about i mean uh no matter how you feel about him chaka can play every game back to back for whatever reasons he's built like a tank and moves like one and as you look across the team uh these days Bellerin seems robust you know we don't have other concerns so we've too many players on the front line uh that's probably where we need need a little rotation so some interesting choices for the manager yeah, I mean, the one thing I want to say is we always assume that rotation is just these players are in the red zone and we want to keep them fresh. Sometimes you rotate just to avoid the outside chance that the player gets a freak injury. You know what I mean? Like, like if you say, yeah, we're, we're yeah. just going to go ahead and risk Saka, for example, because he's not in the red zone. What if Saka gets kicked and his ankle breaks? I mean, knock on my Again, I realize you say, well, that could happen in any game. Why? It's just... When you're on the he- when you're on the eve of a big game, sometimes you just say, "Let's not roll the dice at all." And I'm not saying that's the right call, by the way. I'm just making the point that that red zone or tiring or fatigue those aren't the only reasons you would necessarily rotate. Sometimes you do it just you know the old expression, wrap them in cotton wool, right? Sure. God forbid, keep him safe, keep him out of there, and and let's just make sure he's playing against Benfica on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, but there's a counterbalance to that, and again, we don't know. But the counterbalance is when you talk to those fitness guys. Um, what's the name of the Arsenal fitness guy who left? Shad Forsyth, Doctor Doctor Fitwell, Darren Burgess, Darren Doctor, Burgess, Doctor Fe- Good Feeling Hamstring. Yeah, I, I think yeah. no, I think that's the guy who took care of Michael Jackson so well. Um, no, uh, I remember him talking about, it, and I'm sure Shad Forsyth said something similar. That there's a counterbalance to that, which is actually the way you keep people's fittest and strongest is ha- playing them more, not less. It's the periodization I, thing, right? Like I'm, I'm familiar. Yeah. I'm just, I, and again, in general, Paul. Again, I'm not disagreeing with you on the fitness side. I'm saying just yeah, yeah. to literally eliminate the possibility of getting but, kicked and being out of the game. You know, it's the freaking. Yeah, yeah. It gets you started, but then you can get injured in a game and that comes down to fitness periodization and like the best way to keep players strong is it varies by player but keep keep playing the bastards i agree um, i'll give you the, i'll give you the reductio ad absurdum right reductio ad absurdum let's say we were playing leeds for a chance to finish 10th in the league on the final day of the season and on thursday we had the champions league final you wouldn't play any starters not any of them 
right? Yeah. Like, I mean, so you get my point. And this, I am not saying Benfica, the first leg of Benfica in the first knockout round of the Europa League is the Champions League final. And, and I don't know why I'm even debating this with you because you totally get my point and I totally agree with yours. And, and ultimately, though, Paul, I mean, have he you noticed doesn't... how much we've like things have really changed between us? Violently and, agree. <laughs> we, we, we like keep agreeing on stuff, and I, I was saying this in the WhatsApp. So we so much get on these days. I've started attacking Clive and Tim on Sensible. the pod because I need an outlet. Yeah. Um, well, but and here's the issue. Well, Tim, let me ask you this. I mean, how much do you think what he does now for the rest of the season is dependent upon? I mean, what does he need to do to rescue a season? Let's just take a macro view of this for a second, Tim, okay? Hear me Mm. out, because he could have us playing great football for the rest of the season, genuinely great football, and finish with no trophies and a ninth-place league finish, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, given where we are, given the number of teams ahead of us, if we play really well, suffer a few rough defeats along the way, we could finish with 13 losses, ninth in the league, no cups, no no cup finals, and have finished the season feeling like we played really well. And yet, what does the club do then? What does the club do in a summer where you've just finished with 13 defeats, ninth in the league, no cup finals, no cups, nothing to really get excited about? I mean, th- this is the problem with the hole we dug, and he dug to some extent, prior to this new run is that there's no margin for error for making this season feel even remotely salvaged. And so I think he's in a really tough spot because if we weren't to beat Leeds, it's Benfica City, Benfica Leicester. I mean, it is, you're staring at a run, I mean, if we lose to Leeds, are we going to beat City and Leicester? We can, but you can also say we probably won't. And at that point, you're staring at another run of five losses on the spin. And I think the thing that scares me more than anything, Tim, is I like the way we're playing. Stick with the way we're playing. Stick with this mm. system. But if you wind up lining up four losses, five losses, he's going to be under pressure to change it again, you know, because of the results. Mm. So I mean, from a macro level, how how urgent is this Leeds game in a way? Because it is it is a chance to sort of confirm that that the performances deserve a better result or risk him sort of flip-flopping back and forth. I, th- I think so much about Unai Emery who started his Arsenal career with, what What was it, City, City Liverpool or uh, Chelsea? City Chelsea or Liverpool? Yeah, yeah. yeah. City and, Chelsea, yeah. And lost both those games and pretty much abandoned what he was trying to do in those games by the set, the first half of the West Ham game after that, and it was never the same. Um, so, I mean, I, I've said a lot without saying anything, but you, you take my point, right? There's, There feels yeah, yeah. like, it feels like another fulcrum to our season here based on what happens over these next couple of games uh, and I'm curious how you think he prioritizes that, how he approaches that, given what's at stake, how, what relatively little is at stake in the league versus Europe. Yeah, so I, I so I think that if if I were Mikel Arteta, first of all, um, I I I mean I hope he doesn't flip flop. I hope if the results don't hold up, that he takes that as let's do Plan A better rather than let's just rip it all up. And and to be honest, this is the formation he started with. 
the four two three one. So you have to think that at least for now, that was the 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 three four three thing was a bit more of a holding pattern. Um, I I think I mean I won't call it evidence because it's not evidence, but I think that's maybe the circumstantial evidence points to that that he never really planned to go to that three four three. It just kind of happened, and then it worked for a couple of months, and then it stopped working, and he changed it. And the way he changed it was to go back to the four two three one, which which he started with. And, uh, you know, a bit like when you watch a game, right? The, the, if you really want to get an idea of what the coach wants to do, the first 10 minutes shows you the most because that's when the instructions are the freshest in the players' minds. And that that's when I think you can really see, okay, this is what they were told to do today. And after that, everything gets a bit chaotic. And it's kind of the same here, right? If you consider Mikel Arteta's um, tenure so far, like a game, he started in one way, it got a bit chaotic, so he did something else. And he's... It would, they've the team have reintroduced a semblance of serenity by going back another way and and really i think it's about fine-tuning that now um you know like like party will hopefully be, be able to continue to change the midfield you know smith rowe and Erdegaard, um are there we've you know we've got two good young number 10 so we can keep uh, you know, hopefully keep playing with, with that player there. And and so, like, I think the formation should be quite stable um, and maybe some of the exterior pieces around it. Um, uh, you know, we, we can have a good look at Pepe this next few months and think, well, is he a really good left winger now for what we want to do? Or do we are we fattening him up for sale? What are we doing? So really, I think what I would do if I were Mikel Arteta is start looking towards not even just next season, but think, right, okay, what do I want this team to be? And let's do it now. Let's start doing it now. Let's do it now with the players we've got. And then I can identify which players can do this and which can't. Um, and, you know, for as an example, um, I wrote about something today about, you know, um, play, playing a Bamiyang up front. Learn to do that. Learn to, look. you know, we've got lots of young you know players who play in the wide positions and then the number 10 and they're all like quite wiry and fast so let's learn to play with a bamiyang up front and put those you know start building that structure um unfortunately the party jacker thing at the moment looks a bit knackered because party's not there but ideally you know play those two together and say right what do we want from Xhaka next season do we see this as the midfield combination for next season or do we need to upgrade the other part we definitely we definitely need to buy in midfield regardless so what are we buying in the summer do do we think that Xhaka is you know high level rotation option do we want to sell him do we think that him and party is the midfield combination moving forward so really identifying um some of these kind of trigger points in the season because because a lot of things are decided right like Arteta wanted Mari and Gabriel he's got them he wanted holding on a new contract he's got him he wanted Aubameyang on a new contract he got him learn to play with it mm-hmm. he they haven't opened um contract talks with Lacazette who'll have one year left that tells you they have already made a decision really on him and if they offer him a new contract it's it's because of muddled thinking and it's not because they really want him it will be because of panic their actions show you what they think of him so let, let's let start 
trying to make some of these decisions and let's really put down the template, which might be the template we already have. And let's start, you know, if I'm Arteta, let's play like that, except some of the bad results that are going to come, because let's face it, we're probably in for a mid-table finish. It, it would be really nice to get at least six and get back into Europe next year, but that might not happen. So let, let's let, let's really use that and lean into that and really set the template and just look at, um, you know, some of those players we perhaps haven't invested in yet or we need to make a decision on and let's make those decisions. That is how I would treat the rest of this season. Yeah, I, I think, you know what, this is where I get frustrated with the debate about depth. <clears throat> this is why yeah. I think having spectacular first eleven. And then whatever the hell you got on the bench, this is why I think that's the right approach. So, so Tim, hear me out on this. You say, well, this is why we need depth, because when Thomas Party is out, we need someone better than what we have to come in, right? I totally disagree. This is why you need both of your central midfielders to be excellent, because then when one is out, you still have one excellent one plus whatever you got in the squad, right? So the issue is Thomas Party is fantastic, and Granite Shack is fine. And he looks good with party, but he's fine. He's never going to be more than fine, and at times he's less than fine. And when he doesn't have party next to him, he can often look way worse than fine. What if you had Thomas Party and someone else as good as Thomas Party? Then if one of them was out, you'd have what we basically have now. You'd have one really awesome guy plus a less awesome guy, and that works. You know what doesn't work? Mediocre guy plus mediocre guy. That's why depth doesn't yeah, work yeah. in my view, because... If what you do is you build around depth instead of building around top-end top, top end talent, then when you're missing one of the few stars you have, you wind up having mediocrity throughout the side. If, if you lose party right now, your midfield is mediocre plus mediocre. If you upgrade on Shaka and one of those two is out, then your midfield is excellent plus mediocre, which is what it is now, and that can work. Did you see what I'm saying, or am I once again incoherent? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think... As long as you have lots of top-tier quality in the first 11, it can work when one or two of them is out. The problem is when you have limited quality but plenty of depth, when the good guys are out, you're just bringing in mediocrity throughout the, throughout the squad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 I, I understand that. I, I think really what, what you kind of want, if you can, and again, this is really difficult to do in some positions, is, is have someone who can do a workable impression. So again, like I, I completely understand that this might be pie in the sky, but someone that at least is vaguely similar to Thomas Partey in midfield. I mean, so, some players you just can't do it with, like Liverpool, Van Dijk, you can't, you can't get you know, we're not even talking about quality here. Like nobody even attempts to do what Van Dyke does. He's unique. You, no, you but just they can't cratered when that. they lost both starting center backs. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's of course. that's what of so, course. so for example, like just, just by comparison, would you rather have a star center back and five mediocre guys or two star center backs and three just whatever the hell you can find lying around the street. My argument yeah, is, yeah. if one's out, you always have one star plus a guy he can drag around with him. What yeah. what we often wind so up yeah. having is just a, yeah, just a choice of mediocrity. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, like, look, and and that for clubs like Arsenal and probably Liverpool, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, look, the Invincibles, Pascal Sagan was the third choice centre half. Bingo. Yep. Um, yeah, because you know, you put him next to Sol Campbell, fine. 
not a problem. Put him and our fourth choice was 37-year-old Martin Keown at that stage. If we'd have lost Campbell and Torre, Keown and Sagan at that point, like at that stage of Keown's career, would have been a disaster. You know, Keown only just got his Premier League medal kind of out of charity. Hmm. Um, deserved charity, it must be said, but charity nonetheless towards the end, like because he wasn't really usable. He was just a good guy to have around at that stage. But but yeah, yeah, like that. that's... That, that's the reality for a club like us. Man City, yes, they can spend 50 million on a centre-half and say, mm, yeah, actually, no, get back on the bench, see you later. Arsenal can't do that. And that's why um, uh, th- this is a bit of a segue. <laughs> and uh, I-, I guess let's not move the discussion on into this direction per se, but that's why I hope Edu says things this summer like, you wanted a Bamiyang with the contract, you've got to make it work. Um, we we bought you two central defenders. We gave Rob Holding the contract. But you know what? Saliba's the fourth centre-back. Work with him. You're the superstar coach. You're making your way in the game. You want to prove what a great coach you are. Coach him. Work with him. That That's kind of what I want Edu to do this summer as well. Well said. Yeah. And and, and I mean, because it's, look, you know, to your point about if, if we had lost Torre and Campbell, like, if you take the two starting centre-backs out of any team, they're going to be bad. It doesn't matter how much depth you have. You're never going to have enough depth to have a good season if you lose your two starting center backs or your two starting central midfielders. Your yeah. season is always going to be compromised. And I think there's this notion that, oh, if you just have tons of depth, you can lose however many players you need. That's just not reality, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but but Paul, I mean, so this is, I think this goes to what we what we wind up needing to do in central midfield. And we're off topic a bit, but why not? Because it's a midweek with, with no game. Um in terms of what to do with like Lacazette or what to do with Granite Shaka, you know, you think about it. Santi Cazorla and Francis Coughlin was a partnership that worked. The problem is what happens when you lose Santi Cazorla in that partnership. You lose a title to Leicester. That's what happens because you have Flamini and Coughlin. But what if you had Santi Cazorla and another Santi Cazorla? What if you had Cazorla and Thomas Party, so to speak, and then you lose Santi Cazorla? Well, then you have Thomas Party and Francis Coughlin, and you don't lose the title to Leicester. You know, or you have Thomas Party and Fl- Flamini, and you probably still don't lose the title to Leicester. So, I think this gets at the issue of of some of these players now that I cannot believe we're going to do the bad thing again, and I'm scared we're going to do the bad thing. Granite Shack is going to come due for contract talks, and it's going to be a case of, well, he's here, it works, it looks good with Party, let's just give him another deal, and now we have Granite Shack into his 30s, leaving on a free. And it's going to be Lacazette. Well, he's here. Strikers are expensive. And Keddie is not working out. And now we're going to have Lacazette into his 30s, leaving on a free. These players aren't going to take us where we want to go. Do you think the club will have the fortitude to to just do the smart thing, cash in on them, knowing it's a bit of a risk, knowing it means you have to be a savvy operator in the market and go try to improve the starting 11? Um, I hope they do. Um, I hope they have the confidence to do it because they've got this uh, um, talent spotting engine cranking. Remember, we got rid of all our scouts and we were going to lean on video and data and our stat DNA department and all that good stuff. Yeah, I heard they got the YouTube version that like gets rid of the, the advertisements, too. So they're they're really yeah. ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I don't want to, like, I don't want to be, I I said that in a very skeptical way or a uh, ironical, is ironical a word? Way. Um, 
I mean, maybe they do, but that's what they need, right? Because if you don't have good options, you do, you like, you have a little look around, a half-hearted look, and you say, oh, fuck, Let, let's take the easy choice here. Now, personally, um, as you know, I have a bit of an affinity for, for our old mucker there, Granite Chaka, so uh, I can see some logic to keeping him around. But on the other hand, I would be delighted if they sold Granite Chaka because... He's not the be-all and the end-all, and he creates all sorts of issues that you have to manage around. If they did it on the basis that they now have their Sven Mislintat hat on and they'd found better talent at a better point in their career with a, with a medium-long-term approach, you know, it, it, Granite Chaka will be one of those, well, if, as long as they only do Granite Chaka. You can put him alongside, as long as they only did Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as long as they only did X, Y, and Z. And before you know it, we've done eight, nine, ten players. And the re- the refresh, you know, a lot of the, the youth in our team and the age profile in the team is because we've looked out on young players who actually came good for a change. Instead of Chubb Akpom, we've got... Uh, God bless him, wherever he is at the moment, applying his trade, uh, plowing his furrow. Uh, Hang on, a little pivot into the Saliba video video there, but we'll we'll pull it out back quickly. Um, You know, wherever Chuba is these days, we've got Smith Rowe, who's panned out. We've got Sacco, who's panned out. We've got young players who've panned out and helped smooth out our age profile. And if we hadn't got god-awful lucky, um, the profile would be really ugly right now. But but it has moved us to a point where we should now be brave and move forward and find players in the 23, 24, 25 age range. Um, you know, even party... Not to bring up that um, topic that uh, <laughs> the pod went to war with the rest of the world and their own listeners over, but even party as a deal was one of those we it's right in that kind of the the zone of uncertainty as to whether that's a little late in a career or not for that kind of money. But but if he's good, wonderful. Uh, but not to open up that can of... Also, if he stays fit and he's available in his first season, wonderful. But not to open that particular can of worms. It's another one of those, well, you can do party, but, you know, that's a one-off. Before you know it, you've just got a shitload of one-offs. What was the question again? Um, in terms of Lacazette, we got we got to let that guy go. Uh, I, I love the guy. He's class. He's got technique. As a player, he's been revitalized and i think he's very important and significant to how we play at the moment but you know this summer the time will have come and we should be willing to let him go because we have a better a better plan and a better option i think chak is a much tougher one but i would love if the reason we let chaka go in the summer was because it was an opportunity to go a little bit of a different way not because manager after manager has seen value in him and he's important to the squad. I suspect Chuck is going to stay. That'd be my bet. Yeah, <clears throat> and again, it's just the point that if you if you think about what you're actually putting on the pitch, and whether football is a strong link or a weak link sport, and I know people disagree about this. For me, it is the number of excellent, world class, top tier, however you want to phrase it, p- 
pit, players you put on a pitch that determine your success. And so to that respect, I think it is a strong link sport. I think if you have three decent forwards, you've got nothing. If you have Cristiano Ronaldo and two terrible forwards, you've got something. You know, if, if you've got three decent midfielders, you've got nothing. If you have Kevin De Bruyne and two decent midfielders, you've got something. And so on and so forth. And if you have Virgil van Dijk, and, and you know what I mean? Like, and so my point is, when you focus on having the best possible first 11 filled with superior talent, what you essentially do is you insulate yourself from the impact of rotation and injuries. Because if a couple of them are out, the mediocrity you're bringing in is still playing alongside exceptional players. And and that, to me, is the, is the difference. And I, just to be redundant, because I enjoy doing it again, if you've got Santi Cazorla and Thomas Party, losing one of them and bringing in a mediocre player can work. But and and so interestingly, isn't Leeds the antithesis of that? In uh, and not that they don't have players who've become very good, uh, but they're the one thing they have is they've taken the stars out of the system and said, "Give me a bunch of young guys who run their fucking socks off," and I got a eleven guys behind them to run their socks off when they're not available, with the exception maybe. But they're probably screwed without Calvin Phillips. But you're kind of making but, my point at, at a certain level, right? Because we'd consider Leeds to be yeah. an excellently coached team with a brilliant yep. system that gets the most out of them. And we'd consider yeah. Arsenal to have been mostly a fucking mess. And we are basically as good as Leeds this season, right? So it's the point that talent, ultimately, even misused talent, will still take you where you want to go. And I think that... You know, Leeds, if you have Bielsa and you have a a total iconoclastic manager with a very, very strong philosophy on how to play and a very clear system and a very specific system designed to get a very specific kind of performance out of his team, that can take you up from where you might go otherwise. I think that works with lower tier talent. Like Brentford's a really interesting example for me. Brentford basically used fully leaned into analytics and value-based investing to go from nowhere to the second tier of English football. But as you get further and further and further up the ladder, you get diminishing and diminishing and diminishing returns, right? So if you're 18th and you buy a superstar, that could vault you to 10th. If you're 10th and you buy a superstar, that could vault you to 6th. How do you go from 6th to 4th? How do you go from 2nd to 1st? It gets much harder and the margins get much finer at that level. And so I think you have to think differently about trying to get from 6th to 4th to 1st than you do from trying to get from 19th to 10th. You know what I mean? Um, yep. Because the teams you're jumping over are poor, both economically and, and quality-wise. Um, we've somehow managed to go 51 minutes, and I, I have no idea what we've talked about, which is spectacularly <laughs> impressive on our part. But Tim, th there are a, f a few things still to go, incredibly, one of which is the Kieran Tierney situation. So I will ask you... Um, Multiple choice, ABC. Is this a full Cazorla, a partial Riziki, or a medium-term Vermeilen? What's going on with Kieran Tierney, who just has lower leg discomfort? You know, he'll he'll just be out yeah. uh, to infinity and beyond, as Buzz Lightyear might say, with lower leg discomfort. Yeah, the, this one is, I, I'm more worried about this, I guess, than the Thomas Party one. And, and that's mainly because um, because of his injury history. 
um, quite frankly. So, you know, Partey's got a fairly clean injury history and this is a really weird season and he came in in really weird circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. But, but with Tierney, um, yes, that that is a concern, particularly because of the way he plays as well. He's he's really kind of bombastic and he really relies on that that burst of pace and yeah, that that always gives you pause for thought as well when a when a player, you know, has hip problems and hernias and muscle problems when they play like that. You know, I think we saw at Arsenal with um Freddie Jungberg, for example, he had a he had a hip operation in two thousand two and I just don't think he was ever the same player after that because he relied so much on that burst of pace and I, I you know he 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 was okay after that don't get me wrong but he was never the, the same player I don't think and and you know Tin is quite a young man still um so like I you know I, I'm not necessarily worried that his career is going to end tomorrow or anything like that and and look sometimes players just get muscle injuries sometimes it's nothing to do with the fact that they had a hip problem or a hernia or something like that it it does just happen um, you know, m- maybe just as a thought, he should um, wear some tracksuit bottoms and a jumper um, in the warm up. <laughs> Turns <laughs> you know, out exposing just... yourself to freezing cold in shorts just to look like a badass is bad for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, maybe. And, and look, I'm, I'm kind of joking. But at the same time, look, you're in an elite performance environment. Do everything you can. Um, so I'm not saying that's the cause of the injuries, but, you know, m- maybe someone on the uh, S&C staff to say, look, you know, just just you've had a bit of Twitter cred for this now. Um, put some trousers on for fuck's sake. <laughs> Keep those muscles warm. So, you know, like and 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 so th- this is this is worrying, isn't it? Because he he has been injured before with us. Um, look, you can't go full blown on it yet because. You know, every player will get a muscle injury every now and then, but it but it it does give you food for thought, and it does um, you know it does bring into and and that's another thing, right? That Arteta might want to think about for the summer, because in the summer, like a left back will be on the shopping list. We know it was for January, but they just couldn't get it done. So again, that might inform what kind of left back you buy, um, because maybe if you're more um, if you've got more faith in in Tierney's muscles, you might say, Do you know, what? just just buy anyone. Um, it's fine because they're not really going to be playing. But if you think that Tierney might miss 15 games a season, then or more, then you know you might have to buy a slightly better quality, you know, quality backup left back. So yeah, this is one I'm concerned about, and it does seem to be lingering. And and the thing is, we're we're never like told, oh, he's pulled it, like that's it, it's a grade one, two, whatever hamstring pull. He'll be out for three weeks, and that's always a concern as well because you don't have that certainty. And and I'm not sure if there's any certainty in the treatment. Are they just trying to get him fit, or is there, you know, it it kind of it it gives me. Um, in you know, in the worst case scenario, it's one of those where you go, hmm, maybe we're going to have to get him under the surgeon's knife and open him up, and you might find out he's got like a bony spur somewhere or something, um, which is what Mikel Arteta had. So uh, that's kind of worst case scenario. I'm not, I'm not sure that's what it is, but it is definitely concerning. Yeah, I mean, because the weird thing is, this is where the whole Pravda thing comes in, right? They keep saying he'll be back in full training this week, and it's you know just being precautionary, but. It's such an amorphous injury that your imagination can run wild. I do think, look, Thomas Party had a spotless injury track record at Madrid, um, and and I'm not too worried about it. 
Tierney had a little bit less of a spotless track record. I mean, Paul, there, there is some indication that more injuries are being picked up right now because of the condensed um, schedule, because of the lack of proper preseasons, because of the way these players were off for the pandemic layoff without really properly training and then back on and then nonstop. Um, forgetting whether you have a concern about Tierney you know, this week, next week. Do you have a concern about Tierney generally? I mean, I, I realize this is the height of speculation, but the one thing you can't afford to do is have a player who's as important as he is be unavailable. I mean, it's it's such a cliche. They say, you know, one of the most important abilities is availability. But with certain players, that really is the case. So where do you stand on this? Uh, he had a re- So he came in, he was injured. Uh, he had a reputation as being injured. It took him a long time. Or, well, a, a re- reputation he'd earned as being injured. Um, so that was obviously concerning. And we didn't have, we, we saw him for a little bit and then we didn't see him for a long time. Um, and he's come back and he's actually had a really, really good run of games uh, for us where you start to feel confident that they've kind of learned the player and the players maybe matured, got stronger, to, how, is learning how to take care of himself. And now we've got to this phase which kind of feels like a significant step backwards into problematic ther- uh, a problematic area of him having kind of at least to us not well defined issues just general kind of uh, uh, what, do, what do you call that whack-a-mole kind of stuff with with some issues here and some issues there that are all related to kind of balance fitness kinds of things party seems a little bit that way too that that uh not generally but in the short term it's kind of a few different things to do with overall strength and fin- fitness and conditioning and uh, that kind of whack-a-mole thing um yes yeah, so it were obviously he's such a key player and we have nothing like that on the left side of the pitch and we really don't have anything like that on the right side of the pitch. It's a whole dimension that goes kind of back to front, uh, uh, the hard charging, um, a, a chalk on your boots, uh, wing back who get you right up the pitch. And we don't really have anybody to that. The closest thing we have to that is Saka playing as a wing back rather than a full back. Um, and he's, if you look at reasons why, um, the team we send out makes you think we might win on any particular day. Uh, one of the first names you're going to check to see how we're going to play and whether we're going to play to our to the full dimension of what we can do is is Tierney. I mean, he just brings brings a level of capability of speed and power and. Uh, angles of threat along the left that nobody else can provide and we don't really provide on the right and then another person you're going to check is he on the team sheet as party because if you have those two guys in there uh, and a number 10 smith row um and of course you want saka beyond that you're like okay i think i think we're going to be good today and without tyranny we kind of lose cedric's had a couple of great games and a couple of okay games but he still can't do what Tierney does for us, even when he plays well and maybe puts in a couple of uh, good cross-field diagonals, etc. He's not going to give us that threat up the outside, overlapping whoever. And in particular, if we play Aubameyang off the right, uh, off the left, which we're probably about to start doing unless we play him through the middle, um, he's 
Tierney is the player that mixes best with Aubameyang. That's where having a a left wing who's who you're really trying to rotate around into being a left forward makes the most sense with Aubameyang and nothing else really works. You, you've got a kind of a weakness in that side without a left-footed, uh, hard-charging fullback like Tierney. Yeah, I, I think the... <laughs> You know, it's it's one thing if you have an injured player um, who's in and out of the side, but when it, you know, when it is someone who seems to be so central to everything we want to do, that's really problematic, right? Because how do you build a rhythm and a system and uh, get in any kind of form if one of the guys that's really, really important in the way you want to do things is in and out of the team? Um, you know, there's certain places I feel like, you know, center backs I, I, can come in or out or, or maybe, yeah. you know, maybe a winger if he's if if he's similar to another winger. But we just don't have a guy that can do what Tierney does, which changes the whole system at some level. Yeah, I think if, you know, I, I'm an advocate for what we've done, at least historically with Aubameyang from the left, because he's got more space. But if you don't have Tierney and you're not playing Saka, for example, as a wing-back. Not that I'm pushing for that right now because we love him where he plays. Uh, but if you don't have Tierney overlapping Aubameyang, it, I swing more fully to the, well, let's play Aubameyang through the middle, and then at least that makes all kinds of sense in, in many ways from a striker standpoint. And then we free up our wings to just put the best players to connect with Aubameyang. But if you have Aubameyang on the left... You can lose that whole side without Tierney in terms of threat and attack, and I don't like it. So I think without Tierney, I, uh, I'd i swing my vote to Aubameyang through the middle. Yeah. Um, I, I, I believe we should be playing Aubameyang through the middle. You know that. And I think now that yep. we have a proper number 10 and a little better spacing. I, in general, I think it's also just I like high-touch, high-involvement players at, at wide forward. You know, guys who can contributing the build-up in ways that Aubameyang can't. And I still think if the ball's going to find its way into the box, I trust Aubameyang to find the positions to be in to get to goal-scoring chances in a way that I don't trust Lacazette. You'll lose a little bit in build-up, but we don't we don't need the number nine playing with his back to goal as much with the players that we're using now. So, yeah, I, I would definitely give Aubameyang a run through the middle there. I mean, Tim, I know you you sort of agree with that. Um, you know, in I terms, emphatically agree emphatically with that. Emphatically agree. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, in terms of the way Pepe's been playing too, I mean, if especially having rewatched the Villa game, I was impressed with how much. I mean, Pepe was even better than I kind of remembered. How do you feel about Pepe generally, and Pepe on the left specifically, in terms of as we look at this next run of games and potentially Arteta having the difficult decision about whether to drop Lacazette out and play Aubameyang through the middle, which he hasn't been inclined to do versus playing the two of them together, which, you know, means having to take one of Saka and Pepe out. We know who it's going to be. For me, right now, Pepe isn't droppable. Not that Saka is. He isn't no. either. But, I mean, do you feel strongly that Arteta has to stick with both Pepe and Saka here and whatever he does at center forward, yeah. those two have to be nearly the first names on the team sheet right now? Um, maybe for this game, yeah. I I don't think we have a big enough sample size on Pepe. My 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 stronger feeling is just play Aubameyang through the middle, because the the other the other reason it makes sense to me is we've just got so many players in those other wide forward positions and on the wide left. Like Pepe can kind of do the Aubameyang stuff on the left. 
um, and we'll have a Bamiang in the centre. And that strikes me as like like having two players in the penalty area. That's not too much. Like that that's okay. You can have two. It's all right. You don't and just have to have one. Like we have one player in the penalty area generally. And look at how many goals we've scored this season. It's pathetic. Like at least two need to be in there. And I, I just think it's a nicer balance. Like you know you have two broadly two creators and broadly two guys who get in the box in in kind of Pepe and Aubameyang and if it's not Pepe then you've got Martinelli who does exactly the same thing so I just think that left side is um, it's probably a jump to say it's sorted but there's two really good options there both you know both of whom are players who can score and make goals and we can have Aubameyang in the middle and we can have Saka on the right and one of Smithrow Odegaard behind them like I just think it makes all the sense in the world, and and you know I guess just to repeat what I said on Monday, like this is what Atleti are doing with Suarez. They've surrounded him with Joao Felix, with Carrasco, um, and with uh, Thomas Lamar, and they've just said like just stay in the box, don't worry, we'll we'll give you the guys and that that will get you the ball there. And Leicester are doing it as well. Like th- th- this is like our squad is whether by accident or design kind of already constructed that way, and we already made the decision to give Aubameyang the contract and we've already made the decision not to start talking with Lacazette about a contract. So, you know, those decisions are made. Let's work with them. Let's go with them. Um, and again, like someone like Pepe, we can we keep playing him there, keep him going. Um, you know, we know he can add goals and assists and we need those. And if in May you decide it hasn't worked and he's still a bit of a bitty player and he's not giving you enough, fine, then sell and move on and buy another guy that can that can perhaps do something similar um or you know if say Lacazette and Nketiah both go buy another striker or whatever like you you can assess your options then but to me like Aubameyang on the left just doesn't have a long-term future he's he's 31 even if I thought he was playing it perfectly um that you know he's not you you can't play him there when he's 33 and and i agree with you as well elliot for all of the kind of well we miss some of the link-up play when Aubameyang plays in the center i think we miss it even more when he's on the left i think you need your wide forward to be able to do that stuff and Aubameyang he can't do it that's not the player he is so i think we lose even more of that build-up stuff by having him on the left basically wherever you put Aubameyang on the pitch he's going to be low touch but he'll score you a goal if you give him the ball in the right area. And I would much rather have that utility through the center than, than on the left wing. Yeah, so then let me ask you a tricky one. Having said all that and agreeing with all that, what now for Gabriel Martinelli? I mean, it is easy the way football moves so quick to forget the, the extraordinary potential of certain players. Mm. In my view, Martinelli can be as good or better than Bukayo Saka. Now, mm-hmm. that could wind up being lunacy, but that would not have been a heterodox viewpoint as recently as a couple months ago, um, or certainly yep. last season. It, it's a heterodox viewpoint right now because we're seeing what Saka can be, and he's absolutely elite. And, you know, Martinelli had, oh, I don't know, two games where he wasn't great. So, you know, in modern football, he's washed, right? But yeah, yeah. I... You cannot convince me that a solution that leaves Martinelli regularly out of the team is the right one. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm not sure what you do. I mean, maybe in the long term, what you do is 
You sell Lacazette, you sell Enkedia, and next season your backup striker is Martinelli and your backup yep. winger is Martinelli. And then his way of getting in the team yep. is he plays when Pepe doesn't or Saka doesn't or Oba doesn't. And that gives him lots of ways to be across the front line. But between now and then, how and when does Martinelli get in? Because there's no FA Cup left, there's no League Cup left, there's no group stage of the Europa League left. Um, and he was, you know, the thing that scares me a little, Tim, is he was out so long at such a young age. You need to be playing a lot right now. I mean, I think there would have been an absolute revolt if we had loaned him out in January. But having just come back from injury and being such a bright, you know, a bright prospect, he needs to play and get himself right back to where he was. Sitting on the bench game in, game out is not going to do that. So help solve that problem. Yeah, yeah. So I I agree with you in terms of we could look at his usage in terms of be our backup striker, backup slash rotation striker, backup slash rotation left winger, because uh, he can do some of the things that like Pepe and, and Aubameyang can do, um, and that would get him plenty of minutes. Um, at the same time, I don't think, let, you know, let's say he's competing for that left side spot. Let's take Aubameyang away from there and put him in the middle. Who's he competing with? Pepe. That is not unsurpassable competition. Um, you know, Pepe Pepe could just have another crap game on Sunday against mm-hmm. Leeds and like nobody would be enormously surprised um if he did like i i'm i'm not i think he's on i i'm with you i think he's on a good run but i'm not necessarily sold that that will hold in perpetuity and martinelli won't get a look in um the, 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 so so I, I think he can definitely compete for that left wing role and the best thing we can do is take a bamyang away from there so it's it's one less player to compete with and we just we just move a bamyang into what is more of a problem position in my view but really, the the answer here as well is this is just another player that Arteta is going to have to learn to use. He's going to have to learn how to how to get Martinelli's talents into his team. And Martinelli is he's a different player. He's another one. He's not technically amazing. He's pressy. He's great at picking up spaces. He can make stuff happen. You know, he's he's in that kind of Sanchez mold. He's not um, he's not always. Oh, utterly precise but he will get you or score you a goal somehow um, at some point if you let him and Arteta is going to have to work with that and again if Arteta wants to you know really wants to stamp his authority as a top coach in the game these are these are nice problems these are great projects for him to really say I'm going to be an elite coach because watch what I'm going to do with this guy you know even even look at what Pep did with all right like Messi is is like you know is is a complete outlier in just about every respect but Pep still found an even better way of using him you know by moving him into that almost false nine position he 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 took a great talent and said no 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 I can do something better with this guy and I can that that means I can put guys on the wing like Suarez and Neymar who can do even more like this is the kind of creative thinking that I want to see from Arteta. And if he wants to convince people, not just Arsenal, but he's at the outset of his coaching career. And if he wants a career where he's coaching the biggest clubs, work with what you've got and show you can make it better. Don't just be a fucking checkbook manager. Don't just throw players in the bin and say, oh, I'm just going to sign someone else because I don't like him. Work with them. Show that. Show what you can do. Show you can improve players, even elite players. Show you can improve them, and that's what I want him to do. And that, again, to repeat myself, that's what I want Edu to say to him this summer. I want him to say things like, "Look, you signed off on the Abamian contract as much as I did. Make it work. 
we've got Martinelli. This is a generational talent. Make it work. We've got Saliba. This is one of the best, you know, one of the highest rated teenage centre backs in, in Europe. Make it work. This is this is what like Arteta is not at the stage of his career where he can be a checkbook manager and Arsenal is not the club for that at the moment. Work with what you've got. Find out a way that you can get Aubameyang and Martinelli into the same team. And I think you can as a kind of strike pairing, right? If you've got, let's say, Saka and Smith-Rowe kind of doing the the build-up creative stuff, let's have Martinelli and Aubameyang in the box. Um, and that might be a bit lopsided and you might have to switch things around, maybe put Martinelli right, Saka left, whatever. But these are the co- these are nice problems for a coach to solve. These are nice projects. They're not they're not straightforward. No one's saying that it's a silver bullet to just put a Bamiang up front and everything's solved. It's not. You've got to do stuff to make it work. But this is the stuff that if Arteta wants to prove himself as a coach, that for me, he has to do. He has to. Otherwise, he is never going to get to the club that just says, fuck the 30 million centre half. I'll put him in the reserves and sign a 50 million one. So this is him earning his corn and earning his, you know, earning his stripes. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, so let, let's finish on this, Paul, because I, I want to get your take on it as well. The one thing that we have to be careful of here is nobody deserves a place in the team just because of their reputation. That goes for, you know, a William who's 32 and is being paid a lot of money and has sucked. But that also goes for a teenage phenom who we all think is going to go to the top of the game. I think Tim nailed it for me, which is... You have to build your team in a way that you make paths for the players that are important assets at the club. And so if you re-sign Lacazette, and when you bring in Willian, and you know when you do things like that, when you keep Enkedia, then you marginalize Martinelli, and then you marginalize Balogun, and you know we're not going to lose Martinelli. I can't believe the club would let that happen, but Balogun certainly seems gone, and maybe that's not a big deal. He might not be good, but the point is you have to think about all these moves not just in terms of how they make your team better or worse, but how they create paths for the players that are strategically important as well. Um, you know, so so is it that simple that Martinelli finds whatever playing time is available here and there this season as he gets back into form? But with the moves we make in the summer, we create the path for him. And look, there's always the chance that he plays as a sub on Sunday and scores a hat trick in 10 minutes. And suddenly everybody's saying he has to start against Benfica. I mean, football moves very quickly like that. But is that really it? Is it that the the moves Arteta makes and the way Arteta manages the club has to respect the value of the assets he has and has to structurally set us up to make room for those players? And I realize he's got some priors with the way he handled the Ganduzi situation, the Saliba situation, so on and so forth. But there's certainly no suggestion that, you know, Martinelli's been a bad apple or that he's been anything other than the model professional. I mean, those are different situations. And yet there's some people that will say, Arteta has been reluctant to use Martinelli. I'm not so sure I agree because the minute he was fit again, I think he started and was it against Chelsea to start this run? And he was a critical part of that. So do you think Arteta maybe has a, a blind spot with, with Martinelli at all? And is, is the solution as simple as the way we reshaped the squad in the summer? Did we lose Paul? Is, did Paul just fall asleep? I realize we've gone a minute and 15 I'm sorry, without I'm saying sorry. anything, but... An hour, yeah. and 15, hour and 15 yeah. minutes in. That was Paul's attention span. What was yours, listener? Um, Paul, do you want to speak on that or do you just want to say Yeah, that? yeah. No, I, I've, I've got very strong feelings. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. Um, so I would say that Arteta had been slow to use Martinelli uh, from the beginning of, his, of the Arteta era. 
uh, Martinelli was a factor, and uh, partly because Aubameyang wasn't available for a, a, a few games there, probably around the Crystal Palace uh, red card period. Martinelli had a good run, and then um, uh, Aubameyang comes back, and so in all the talking about clearing paths, etc. I don't have a huge issue about the players we had. You know, uh, you could debate a Willian or a this or a that, but um, at the end of the day, I don't think it'll be a Willian or anybody else we have who stops Martinelli getting game time and minutes at the end of the day um, as he mature, mature. Like, clearly there was a frustration recently with uh, Martinelli getting yanked at half time. Um, in terms of Arteta. So it kind of speaks to the certain players that Arteta doesn't think that might be, we might think they're playing okay, but they're not playing to his game plan. And Martinelli's young and he's coming along. And uh, I mean, anybody with eyes can see he's got the potential. He's got the attitude. He's got, he's going to be a real factor. I think that's going to be the case at Arsenal. The only player or scenario where I think you block a Martinelli is by paying Aubameyang uh, 350k a week creating the next Mesut Ozil problem and having to start Aubameyang every week wherever you think uh, his best position is and build the team around him and unfortunately so far Arteta has come to the conclusion it's the the left wing which I'm sympathetic to from an from a Aubameyang standpoint but that's the one player that really screws is Martinelli because that's the one position where he's really shown we've seen him on the right and we've yet to really he, he's too young and he's too far to develop to be our striker right now so if he wants game time he needs to start from the left and as long as now that we've um, nominated Aubameyang as the first player on the team sheet and we play him from the left. That's really what's screwing over Martinelli, I think. And um, another vote for why uh, playing Aubameyang, again, I've great sympathy for why playing Aubameyang from the left has made sense in the past. Going forward for this squad to work, given the players we have on the wings, given your Sackas, your... Um, uh, who else do we have? Martinelli, our, our Pepe, our, you know, Willian is apparently going to get game time and apparently gets, at least in training, uh, gets the system. Given that those guys are all oh, going to need... Thank God for that, because he sure shit doesn't get anything when he's on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just needs to do that last piece of doing it when he gets onto the pitch. That's the um, smallest part, too, from what I've been told. Yeah, yeah. and we got to... ESR and Odegaard who need game time and hopefully will stay fit and be available and be so there's a lot of players in there and it's Martinelli who's mostly getting screwed and maybe Pepe after that in that there's only one wing spot available and in particular on Martinelli's side I'm less concerned about like you can have two players if you look at we mentioned City or we mentioned Pep and and uh, how he's developed players. I mean, he didn't have any problem with the fact that there was a while he bought Mares, but Mares wasn't starting. Um, like th- that, 
doesn't bother somebody like Pep to have two quality guys to play on each side and let them develop. And and if they're good and they they get the system, they start being starters or certainly get starting every second game and having rotation and options and tactical and coming on after 60 minutes. There's loads of ways he can play, but not if Aubameyang plays 90 minutes on the left, and that's the one spot that Martinelli has proven himself in. Yeah. Okay, so let's leave it with this, um, and, and that's all well said. Leeds on Sunday, Benfica on Thursday in Rome, actually. Uh, it's going to be two neutral sites. Weird that there's going to be the away goals rule, despite the fact that neither team is playing home mm. away, but so be it. Um, you have to lose one and win one. Which one are you picking? Fuck. I hate that. I don't. I don't want to play. I choose not to run. I'm pulling a Seinfeld. Strange um, game. I, the only way to win is not to play. Pick what movie is that? Oh, fuck. I'm gonna go. Yeah. What movie? Know. Do you know? No. Tim, do you know? Uh, no. Global thermal nuclear war. Strange game. The only way to win is not to play. War games. Very good old movie with um, Matthew Broderick. Anyway, mm. if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Mm. Um, mm. So, uh, go ahead. I interrupted with nothing of any relevance. Who killed somebody in a car crash in Northern Ireland? He did when he was with when he was with Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. Well, great. Now I feel like shit. I apologize. Don't watch that movie. Don't watch any of his movies. Is it was it his yeah. fault? Yes, ish. They were so, on the wrong side of the road. Got oh, a little disoriented. Why does everybody have to get milkshake ducked? All right, fine. So, um, um I'm going to do with. Uh, losing to Benfica because we can always win the second leg. Yeah. Okay. Tim. Um, I I'd go for losing the Leeds game because um, winning the Europa League gets us into the Champions League, and can, doing well in the league potentially gets us into the Europa League again. Can we win the Europa League just by beating Benfica? Can we make that the rule? <laughs> because, because no, there's but still if, a lot of words. I think, if, I'm if, kidding. Yeah. If we <laughs> lose to Benfica, then no. Um, yeah, I, I will say this. I, I would definitely take winning at Benfica and losing the leads. The only thing that scares me here is I think Arteta is on to something. I think he's found a system that works and I hope mm -hmm. he'll stick with it. And I am nervous that if we start picking up a lot of losses, despite good performances that he will, he's not long enough in the game. You know, we've already seen him abandon one system. And in that case, I would say, thankfully, this is different. This is working. And I just worry that bad results could lead to him abandoning what is working and go back to something that maybe feels safer in his mind, but that did not work and doesn't have as high a ceiling. The way we were playing under Arteta when he first arrived, whether you think it worked or it didn't work, had a limited ceiling. We weren't going to get into a top four, win a league, anything like that with that system, but we could with this system if it keeps improving. So I that would be my only fear. Let's leave it there. Can, can I, mm -hmm. yeah, can I say mm -hmm. one thing? I know what I said sounds nuts. <laughs> right? No, not totally nuts. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's a gut feel thing. There's a like I'm not saying we get smashed by Benfica or anything. Uh, uh, it's a calculated thing that if we were to just about lose to Benfica, but win against Leeds, to your point, that that we are building on a way of playing. I'm more concerned that if we lost to Leeds, the like the the chaos and uncertainty around the team. Uh, leads to a situation where we're not in a great shape, even in the Europa League, and winning the first le leg doesn't buy you anything. And 
winning the Benfica tie doesn't buy you anything unless you're building something, unless there's really something there in the way you play. Hence, it's a very difficult call. But my calculation is I would prefer that we we beat Leeds, built on that, and had to come back and win the second leg, balls out against Benfica, and that we would. So I know it sounds nuts, no, but that's, I, I get that's it. where my gut goes. I don't know why... Mm-hmm. We'd have to play with our balls out in the second leg, though. I mean, I feel like that that just <laughs> makes Arsenal it unnecessary. Thing to do at the moment. Yeah, it just makes it, oh, touche. It just makes it a little so bit So I think the second leg, I think there's a great idea because we don't know where it's going to be. The two teams should have to have their bags ready and then they have to scramble to <laughs> the venue. It becomes like the greatest race also. Like the game yeah. is going to kick off at 2 p.m. whether you're there or not. So yeah, um, yeah. that would be funny, right? Like you have to figure yeah. out where it is. You have to get there. And if you're there before the before the other team, you could just start kicking it into their net. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> not what happened at Villa Park. We just like <laughs> got there like 90 seconds late. <laughs> I mean, that might have happened to us quite a few Thought times you one season. goal up if you get there first yeah um all right well le- with that ex- exceptional concept uh laid to rest let's let's go ahead and leave it there uh we will be doing our premier league roundup tomorrow i believe which should be fun so so definitely join us for that on the patreon we, we do hope you will sign up because uh we work really hard to, to bring a lot of good content there and and um you know, just be appreciative for, for the people that have signed up. And as I always say, though, if that's not for you, if you can't do it, if you don't want to do it, if you're like, why would I even think about doing that? And you're just here to listen to this. Even if you're here to hate listen, we're still thrilled that you're here. Um, you know, and come into my mentions, even though you block me and just tell me I hate listening to your podcast. And I will say thank you for listening because that's all that matters. Uh, Tim's on Twitter. Roberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. My name is Alex Smith, the Blackman Twitter Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Clive. That man does not get upset about negative feedback. He loves it. In fact, if you want to go to him at Clive PAFC on Twitter and write negative things, the guy handles it with absolute equanimity. Uh, I will tell you that we had nothing to talk about today. We very specifically agreed before this podcast we weren't sure we had anything to talk about, and we still pop, uh, managed to easily cross the 85-minute mark. So kudos to us. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 leads now. 